What's up, and welcome back to the sportsball.com podcast. Once again, coming at you not live, <laughs> but bringing all the heat, and I'm ready to rock after Big Warriors win. Uh, in case you don't know, I'm Jackson Williams. I'm the host of this show, an unapologetic Bay Area sports fan, and I'm ready to talk all things Warriors and NBA playoffs with you right here, right now, as we prepare for a potential series-ending Game 6 on Friday night. Uh, I've got a lot to get into today, so uh, let's waste no more time and just dive right in. Um, so like usual, we're going to start by prefacing the status of the series before the Pivotal Game 5 matchup that just took place on Wednesday. So let's remember what the situation was. The Golden State Warriors came into the series pretty banged up after a six-game series with the Los Angeles Clippers. Both the Splash Brothers had sprained their ankles in the closeout game of that series. Uh, but what's that saying? Uh, I don't remember... Uh, not exactly, but it's, I think it's like the universe giveth and taketh away, or something like that. Well, in the vein of that, Steph and Clay both got banged up in that series, but as some sort of counterbalance, Kevin Durant was playing the best basketball of his career. He was scoring in ways that I had never seen on a consistent basis, and he was drawing comparisons from all-time greats to players like Michael Jordan on a regular, daily basis. On the other hand, the Houston Rockets came into the series after beating the Utah Jazz in a relatively easy five-game series. So they were coming into the series with a lot of momentum and the desire to upend the reigning two-time champions that they were bested by in the Western Conference Finals last season. So, in Game 1 of the series last week, the Warriors and Rockets played a close game, but the Warriors held on for the win, and it was a close enough game to cause Daryl Morey and the Rockets to leak a report, now dubbed the Morey Report, um about how the Warriors are always the beneficiaries of bad calls against the Rockets, and that those bad calls cost the Rockets an NBA title last season and millions and millions of dollars. Regardless, a win's a win for the Warriors, and they took Game 1 with a final score of 104-100. to Game 2 also went to the Warriors. They held court at home, taking full advantage of their home court advantage that they worked so moderately hard to achieve during the regular season. <laughs> um... The score indicated that the game was much closer than it was, as the Rockets only lost by 6 points, but it truly felt that the Warriors were in control the entire time. The Warriors won that game 115-109, to and they took a commanding 2-0 lead in the series. That all changed, though, in Game 3 and 4, because the Houston Rockets held court at home, and they won both Games 3 and 4. And while a win is a win, like I said earlier... The Golden State Warriors played about as badly as they could have for the majority of both those games, and in Game 3, ended up going to overtime, and then in Game 4, the Warriors missed two shots, Steph and KD did, two best shooters on the planet, <laughs> uh, missed two shots that would have sent the game to overtime. But Steph was awful in Games 3 and 4, Klay Thompson just totally spaced out the entire time, but Kevin Durant being the best player in the world, was doing enough to shoulder the load and keep the Warriors within striking distance with incredible performances, especially in the second halves of both games three and four. Uh, but the Rockets, they won those games by combined eight points. So while I know I said uh, in the recap podcast from game one and two that there are no moral victories in sports, both of these two games felt like about as close as a moral victory as possible in professional sports even though the series was now even at two games apiece and the Rockets appeared to have all the momentum in the world. Um, so here we were. Series tied. 2-2. Both teams had won both their games in their home court as they wanted to, as they needed to. Uh, the Rockets and Warriors series would once again come down to a best-of-three matchups in games 5, 6, and 7 for a chance to advance 
to the Western Conference Finals and potentially the NBA Finals. Um, and I think the winner of the series is likely to go to, to go to the NBA Finals and win the whole thing because they are the two best teams in the league. <laughs> Sorry, Milwaukee. You can't be considered the best team in the league if you play in the JV Conference. It's the same thing with the Cavs every year. It's like the Warriors' biggest threat. It's in the West every time. But regardless, the Warriors and Rockets are the best two teams in the league. And they series is going to come down to a best of three, just like it did last year. This is what the Rockets wanted last year. This is probably what the Rockets wanted again. This is not what the Warriors wanted. But regardless, here we are. Here we were. Not there anymore, because <laughs> the game already happened. That's why you're listening to this podcast. Um, but before we get into all that happened in Game 5, I feel like it's important to preface all of this with one key statistic. One key statistic that would prove the importance of the Game 5, regardless of the winner. In NBA history, the winner of Games 5 in the best of seven series, win that series is even at two games apiece, goes on to win that series 82% of the time. So the implications of this game by itself were massive for both teams. So with that all being said, let's jump right into Game 5. So, here we were, Game 5 of these Western Conference semifinals. That really felt like the Western Conference Finals, or the NBA Finals, however you want to look at it. Um, So, because of the... Golden State Warriors having a home court advantage throughout the Western Conference playoffs because they were the one seed. They were playing this pivotal Game 5 at home, unlike last year when the Rockets took Game 5 on their own home court. The Warriors started this game by blitzing the Rockets, and they took a massive lead in the opening quarter. The ball was whizzing. Draymond Green had 8 assists in the first corner. Klay Thompson showed up for the first time in the week. He was awesome, and it looked like the Warriors had finally figured it out. They had their effort going. They were grabbing boards. They were passing. The defense was impregnable. <laughs> um, the Warriors, they looked like, like, I said the defense was impregnable. The Warriors looked like the physical embodiment of that one Mike Tyson post-fight interview when he exclaimed, uh, I'm the best ever, I'm the most brutal, the most vicious, and the most ruthless champion there's ever been. There's no one who can stop me. Lennox the Conqueror? No, I'm Alexander. He's no Alexander. I'm the best ever. There's never been anybody as ruthless. I'm Sonny Liston. I'm Jack Dempsey. There's no one like me. I'm from their cloth. There's no one that can match my style. My style is impetuous. My defense is impregnable. I'm just ferocious. I want your heart. Uh, I probably just butchered that. <laughs> but I think that's what it was. Um, obviously not with the same intensity for me as it was for Mike Tyson. But that's what the Warriors felt like in that opening for the first quarter. They felt incredible. And the Rockets, they weren't playing poorly. At least not for the entire first quarter. They actually started off pretty well. And at one point, they had a three-point lead. But... When the Warriors started connecting on their shots, they began to go on one of their patented Warriors avalanches, and the lead was 14 after the first quarter. The Warriors held the Rockets to just 17 points, so the score was 31-17 after one. Pretty big deal for the Warriors there. But in this series, the biggest quarter that's determined the winner of basically every game has been the second quarter. So when that second quarter rolled around, the Warriors did their best to weather the storm that the Rockets came out with with their second unit, and that's been a problem all series. The Rockets continued to hang around and cut the lead down to three points at one point. And the lead was down to three points at midway through the first quarter. But then, the Warriors starters came back in and the Warriors put the pedal to the metal. They pushed that lead up to 20 fucking points. And it looked like this game was about to be over. It looked like it might have been wrapped up. Uh, until the Warriors, they got a little too trigger happy with threes. They started taking threes. Everybody did. Uh, I don't remember them taking many mid- mid-range shots or layups at all in the last couple minutes of the quarter because... Everyone was going for haymakers. They were trying to land a knockout punch, demoralize the Rockets, send a message, which I get, I'm totally fine with. <laughs> if you want to end the game in the second quarter, do it. Um, 
but they were missing. They weren't connecting on those shots. So that allowed the Rockets to hang around and stay within striking distance as they cut the lead down from 20 to 14 again at halftime. And then after halftime, the Warriors, they were no longer scorching hot. They cooled off towards the end of that first half. And then, well, they were only hot for a little bit in the first half, but they cooled off. They weren't making shots. The Houston Rockets, though, came out of that halftime and they battled all the way back to make it a one-possession game again. They were playing solid defense, controlling the pace, grabbing boards, and James Harden was spectacular. He's been spectacular for like four games. And that's kind of been largely gone under the radar in discussions about this pivotal game five in in particular. But that's not necessarily his fault because the majority of the conversations and discourse that have revolved around this game towards the end of the third quarter, or the majority of the conversations and discourse around this game, have been about what happened towards the end of the third quarter with Kevin Durant. But before we get there, quickly about that opening to the third quarter, the Rockets came out firing. They cut that lead down. I think at one point they took a lead. Um, but they looked incredible. They looked like they were coming back and ready to steal this series, that the, that the Warriors probably should have stopped fucking around at the end of that first half and just tried to keep building that lead. But the Rockets, they were hanging around. They're determined. They're hungry. They clearly want this fucking championship. But the Warriors weathered the storm. And it looked like they were about to get the momentum back until something happened with Kevin Durant at the end of the third quarter. When the game was looking to get really intense and become a full-blown rock fight once again, like it has for the last three or four games, Kevin Durant once again looked like he was going to be the one to step out of the fray, be that calming yet unstoppable and unflappable force the Warriors needed, as he's been time and time again in these last three years. He looked like he was going to do that. He pulled up for a shot. I think the Rockets had a lead. He pulled up for a shot along the right baseline, nailed it over Iman Shumpert with two two minutes and 11 seconds left in the quarter. He nailed that jumper over Iman Shumpert, who, believe it or not, (laughs) uh, is still playing and taking meaningful shots in the year 2019, which is surprising to me. Uh, But anyways, Kevin Durant rose up, drove to that right baseline, pulled up, took his shot, nailed it. And that shot looked like it was going to be the one that really got him going. Uh... Looked like it was going to be the one that guided the Warriors to the promised land to a win in Game 5. But instead, he landed. And as he took off to get back on defense, he turned around and looked like he got kicked in the leg. He stopped running, began grabbing at his calf or Achilles area. And not only did all of the air get sucked out of Oracle Arena and the hearts of every NBA fan just dropped into their stomach, but it happened really badly for me. <laughs> um, I was... Literally at work, on my weekly night shift manning the front desk of my residence hall, because I work on campus, and was in a good mood, just chilling out, shooting the shit with some co-workers, watching the game on my computer at the same time. But as soon as I saw Kevin Durant was hurt, all the color vanished from my face. All of my liveliness disappeared with it. I was devastated. Not because Kevin Durant is important for the, my Warriors, that my Warriors were in jeopardy of losing this game, not winning a title for a third straight year. I was devastated for Kevin Durant, the person, a top 10 all-time NBA player at the peak of his powers that looked like he had just suffered a career-altering, potentially career-ending injury. It looked like he blew his Achilles tendon, an injury that has ruined countless NBA careers, countless NHL careers, countless NFL careers, countless MLB careers. It's one of the worst injuries an athlete can suffer. KD left the game and it looked like every single fan, player, hell, everybody. It looked like Everybody in the arena, everybody at home, everything I saw, everyone was shook. I got like 12 texts on my phone being like, yo, one, 
are the Warriors fucked now? That shit looked bad. And two, wow, I can't believe that happened to KD. It was a nightmare. But the implications of a potentially blown Achilles, it really looked like it shook every player on the court. The game slowed to a crawl for a number of minutes. Slower than the Houston Rockets normally play it, which is agonizingly slow. Uh, seemingly until the news came out that he had not ruptured his Achilles tendon, but that Durant had suffered a strain in his calf, which is still a serious injury, but not that same career-ending, career-altering injury that a ruptured, ruptured Achilles tendon can be. The implications of Durant's absence loomed large for the Warriors, though. They knew that KD would likely be out the rest of the series, if not the rest of the postseason. And that to have a chance at their three-peat that they so desperately desire to be mentioned among the all-time great teams like Michael Jordan's Bulls, uh, Bill Russell's uh, Celtics, and Kobe Bryant and Shaq's Lakers, they needed to have that three-peat. And they needed to win this game five, which looks like it was slipping away. Looked like it was destined to be a win for the Rockets. That is, until the Warriors got back to doing what they do best. Once Kevin Durant... The news came out that he had not ruptured his Achilles. It looked like the life came back to the Warriors. I don't know if they knew this. I don't know if they were told. But in the final 14 minutes of the game, or so the last two minutes of the third in the entire fourth quarter, the Warriors went back to their ball movement heavy three-point shooting. Stephen Curry-oriented offense from the 2014-16 to seasons that saw his rise to prominence and him winning two consecutive MVP awards. The offense that saw the hearts of NBA fans grow and explode with love for this Golden State Warriors team before they became the villains that signed Kevin Durant. But until this point, Steph was having an awful game, another awful game. It looked like it was it was unexcusable. He looked gassed or simply unable to shoot. Maybe it was his dislocated finger, but who knows? Steph isn't one to make excuses, so we'll truly never know. He shook off all those struggles, though, to close this game as if some sort of cosmic energy entered his body and put him back on the right track to finish this game strong for Kevin Durant, knowing that to have a chance to cement this team's legacy, that duo of two MVPs leading this team, their legacy is an all-time great team, they needed to win this game. That's what it looked like. He finished the game with 25 total points, which isn't a great night for Steph compared to some of the greatest nights of his career or the greatest nights in the playoffs. But 12 of those points came in the fourth quarter, and 16 of them came after KD left the game. He looked dominant and was making shots that he wasn't even coming close to making the previous four and a half games of this series. He was spectacular, and having him as the focal point of their offense is when the Warriors are at their best. And that's not a shot at KD, it's just, it's a fact. It's a, I, I, I don't know how to describe it, having him at the focal point of the offense, and I feel like this is common knowledge. The Warriors play so much differently when Kevin Durant is running the offense and when Steph is. It's, I'll get into it later, but yeah, we'll just get into it later. But the Warriors, this dynasty, this superpower in the NBA was built on ball movement. To cre- <laughs> ball movement. I know what I just said <laughs> sounded like ball movement. That's not what it's built upon. Although maybe a little bit, but the War- this Warriors team was built on ball movement to create the best possible shots and creating space for two of the greatest shooters ever and surrounding them with versatile pieces that can fill the gaps. And that's what happened. And the most versatile piece of all stepped up and led the charge. The most versatile player on the Warriors, besides Kevin Durant, (laughs) obviously, because he's the NBA's original unicorn, he can do it all, um, is Draymond Green. He's the most versatile on on the Warriors. Most versatile player on the Warriors outside of KD. That's a fact. He's one of the best all-around defenders 
that the NBA has ever seen. His name has to be brought up in any conversation when you're talking about the greatest defenders ever. But on top of all of that, he can push the pace and run the offense for the Warriors, acting as a point guard and initiating the offense like few people can, like few people have the ability to do. And he was at his best down the stretch of this game, like he has been for most of these playoffs. And while Draymond's not the guy who's going to put up consistently incredible box scores like LeBron James, like Kevin Durant, like Stephen Curry, like James Harden, his impact is on a similar level. You just have to watch the games to fully understand and comprehend it. He ended this game, this game five, this pivotal game five, he ended it with eight points, 12 rebounds, and 10 assists. And yeah, you can scoff at the fact that he had eight points, but he led the entire game, both teams, in plus minus, with plus 12. That means when he was on the court, the Warriors outscored the Rockets by 12 points. That's his individual impact right there. No one else was even close to that high on either team. He was incredible on defense, on offense, and he made the biggest shot of the game, a three from the left wing in the closing minutes that set Oracle Arena ablaze. It felt like 2016 again. But anyways, <laughs> back to what I was saying. The Golden State Warriors, they ran their old offense in the fourth quarter and played with energy that is hard to match for any team, but especially for an isolation-heavy team that slows the pace down like the Houston Rockets, and they were gassed by the end of that fourth quarter. And that was best evidenced. <laughs> that's, that's not the best word for that. It was best shown by James Harden. I need a, I need a thesaurus when I'm, <laughs> when I'm planning out these podcasts. Uh, James Harden was gassed at the end of the fourth quarter. He took a total of two shots in the fourth. Something that is completely unheard of for Harden, who nearly averages seven shots a quarter. Uh, but he was gassed. He spent most of his time shuffling between the two three-point lines, hardly spending any time near the hoop. Uh, it was truly bizarre for someone who <laughs> uh, was having one of the best shooting acts of his postseason career. I haven't mentioned it yet to this point, but he was incredible outside of that fourth quarter. He ended the game with 31 points on 10 of 16 shooting, but he just totally disappeared in the fourth quarter and allowed the Warriors to hang on to win. And that's what the Warriors did. They hung on. They won the game. They took a crucial Game 5, a 3-2 series lead with a final score of 104-99. to uh, So, before we really dig into the implications of the KD injury, like I said we do earlier, uh, and what that means for the rest of the series, let's just throw out some key stats from this game to make sure we really fully paint a picture of the best possible picture of what happened in this game. Uh, for the Warriors, Klay Thompson had his best game of the series, easily. He scored 27 points on 11 of 20 shooting with five threes. Steph was great down the stretch. He wasn't great in the first <laughs> three and a half quarters until then, but down the stretch, he was great. He finished with 25 points. Draymond Green, like I mentioned before, was awesome again in basically all facets of his game. He had eight points, 12 rebounds, 10 assists. Andre Godala had 11 points. And Kevon Looney... The unsung hero for this Warriors team when they're playing the Houston Rockets, the guy who defends James Harden and Chris Paul better than anybody in the entire league, was spectacular defensively. And he also grabbed five offensive rebounds, which were huge for the Warriors because the biggest problem for them was the fact that they were allowing P.J. Tucker to just manhandle them on the offensive glass. The Warriors as a team, they shot a combined 45.9% from the field and 35.1% from three. So, pretty good night all around. Um, and then for the Rockets... James Harden had 31 points on 10-16 shooting. P.J. Tucker was great. He had 13 points, 10 rebounds, and he hit three threes. It felt like he couldn't miss. Uh, Eric Gordon, 
fucking Eric Gordon, dog. I don't fucking know how good he, like, why he's so good against the Warriors and why he's like, it's like, it's like if Cinderella was just a pumpkin, like, her carriage was a pumpkin. She had no, like, fancy clothes for, I don't know, 23 hours of the day. But in that one hour, instead of having, like, the glass slippers, the incredible dress, and, like, the carriage, she's driving, like, a Lamborghini. She lives in the biggest mansion on the planet, and she's, like, wearing million-dollar shoes. It's, like, I, it's, hard, it's like ridiculous to understand. He somehow turns into some combination of Michael Jordan, LeBron James, and Kevin Durant, all wrapped into one when he's playing the Warriors. And it's, uh, uh, at this point, five games into the series, and after watching it for seven games last year, I cannot take it anymore. I just don't understand how it happens, and it's incredibly annoying. So props to him. He had a couple big shots again, but he wasn't at his best, even though it felt like he was. felt like he didn't miss. But he had a couple big shots. I think he had like 16 or something points. Uh, Eric Gordon had 19 points, but he only went 3 of 10 from 3, which is stunning to me because I felt like he never missed. Uh, but yeah, Austin Rivers, he turned back into a pumpkin. Another Cinderella reference right there. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> uh, he went 1 of 16 from the floor and 0 from 0 4 from 3. Uh, the Houston Rockets, they shot a combined 41.8% from the floor and 29.3% from 3. Uh, so yeah, that was it for basically all the key stats that I wanted to cover there. But now, I think we'll move on to the Kevin Durant injury implications. So even though the Warriors won this game and have a 3-2 lead in the series, they did just lose Kevin Durant for at least the next two games. So I think it's important to look into how the rest of the series could shake up with him out of game 6 and 7. So, in their last 28 games, with Kevin Durant out of the lineup, but Stephen Curry in the lineup, the Warriors are 27-1. and This is not a knock on Kevin Durant, but they just play a totally different style of basketball with him in the lineup and on the court than with him out of the lineup. When he's in the lineup, the Warriors can still show flashes of that fun, pass-heavy three-point shooting offense, but as soon as things get choppy, things get slowed down things get tough they have Kevin Durant so they can just dump the ball off to him and they can rely on him to run the offense which means more isolations which cools off shooters generally speaking and that's not necessarily a bad thing having a guy like Durant who can do that it's the ultimate luxury it's why the Warriors got him the Warriors got him for a couple of reasons they got him for that someone who can get you a bucket in isolation at any time and also to get that guy off a team who can beat you like the Oklahoma City Thunder because Durant's one of the best isolation scorers that the game's ever seen so they're now obviously without that. But when he doesn't play, the ball flies around. Everyone gets a lot of open looks and touches, and they're making that extra pass to get the better shot. And that's not a knock on Kevin Durant because he participated in this mostly in his first year, but not so much in the next year, and then not even less this year. But that's the style of play that drew Durant to the Bay Area in the first place. That style of play not only allows for Stephen Clay to get hot from deep, but it also tires out the opposition. I mean, look at the Rockets. They spent four and a half, <laughs> four and a half games defending the Warriors in an isolation-heavy offense because they controlled the pace. They slowed it down, let James Harden do his thing. But in just one quarter of that old pass-heavy offense, the Rockets looked gassed. They couldn't really defend very well, especially James Harden, who I mentioned earlier. So when you look forward to games six and seven, I know it might be easier to say, oh. It's just like what happened last year with CP3 going down. 
the Warriors are about to lose both these games pretty handedly because their star player is hurt and he's such an important part of their team. But here's the thing. I would caution you in saying that and like believing in that line of thinking, that school of thought. Because when Chris Paul went out, the Rockets didn't change their style of play. They have a system. They are a math problem. You shoot threes, you get layups, and you get fouls. And most of the time, that will lead to wins because you are playing efficient basketball on offense. That's not how the Warriors do it. When Durant is out, the Warriors are radically different. People forget just how good Steph and Clay can be as the number one and number two scoring options on the team. Uh, they're built to play next to each other, and they complement each other in incredible ways on both ends of the floor. Steph and Clay are still way better than James Harden and whoever you consider to be the Rockets' number two guy, whether it's CP3 or Eric Gordon. The Splash Brothers are better and have hardware to prove it. The Splash Brothers beat the Rockets in the playoffs. I think it was in 2016. Uh, they lost that year in the finals, but they still have the ring from 2015 when it was just them and Draymond Green. Um, so while, of course, it'll be impossible to find someone who can come off the bench of this Warriors team that's already there who's going to drop 35 points and play 43 minutes of high-quality basketball on both ends, I firmly believe that the Warriors and their offensive system are going to create opportunities for players who haven't been playing as much because Steph and Clay draw so much more attention in this pass-heavy offense. They create more opportunities because they're willing to make the extra pass and relocate. So, in Game 6 and possibly Game 7, it'll be hard to win. But if there's a trio of players who can lead the way, it's Steph, it's Clay, and it's Draymond. And just remember, Stephen Curry has won a road playoff game in every series he's played in. And there's only one of those bad boys left. Game 6, Friday night. So, <laughs> uh, I think that's all I've got uh, for Game 5 and for the KD injury. Um, so let's take a quick look at the uh, rest of the series, or an outlook for the rest of the series. Um, and to be honest with you, I've got no idea what to expect in Game 6. I don't know who's going to start in place of KD, if the Warriors are going to stay small or go big with Bogut or other bigs. I don't know if the Rockets are going to get any more great shooting performance. I don't know if the Rockets have any more great shooting performances in them, like in games three and four. I don't know which role player is going to step up for the Warriors or how many of them are, or if they're going to do anything. I think game six is going to go one of two ways. Either A, Stephen Curry and Klay Thompson explode. Klay has one of those classic game six claim moments. And Steph does work, and when he needs to, he nails the big big shots, those daggers that really devastate the opposing teams. And then the role players do just enough to dominate and get the win in a close game. Or B, the Houston Rockets <laughs> are going to go off and dominate from the jump and just bury the Warriors without KD. Uh, now, I think option A is more likely than B, simply because the Rockets, according to all reports and what my eyes showed me in the end of that game, Steamed, or they seemed stunned and shaken following their loss in that pivotal Game 5, a game they know they should have won, a game that 100% they should have taken, especially once KD got hurt. Uh, so if I had to guess, I would say that this Warriors-Rocket series ends tomorrow, motivated by the loss of Kevin Durant and the potential of a couple extra rest days while Portland and Denver duke it out in Game 7 on Sunday. <clears throat> I think that the statistical outlier of a team losing Game 5 but winning the series that happened last year 
is very unlikely to repeat itself this year, like the very next year. <laughs> That's just not how math works. And the Rockets, if anything, are a math problem. <laughs> so it all connects is what I'm saying. Um, so I would say that I would, if I was a betting man, which I don't know, it seems fun, <laughs> but I'm not. Uh, I would say that the Warriors wrap this thing up earlier rather than later. I just don't trust James Harden after his myriad of strange performances in the playoffs up to this point, and then his performance in Game Four yesterday or uh, in Game Five, and then Chris Paul has been atrocious all series. So I'm taking the Warriors in Game Six, and they will advance to the Western Conference Finals to take on the winner of Portland Denver. But most importantly, <laughs> uh, they're going to make it so my Sunday is minimally stressful. And I can primarily focus on Game of Thrones instead of the impending end of my favorite team's ba- my favorite basketball team's dynasty. That would be fantastic. If I didn't have to worry about the Houston Rockets again after tomorrow, uh, that would be amazing. I would honestly not stop smiling until until the Warriors hold up the trophy. <laughs> um, so, with that all being said, I think I'm out of things to say, <laughs> at least about Game Five and the upcoming Game Six. Uh, at least amount of things to say outside of calling Chris Paul some mean names and wishing that he was playing the big three instead of the NBA season. Uh, so I'm going to tap out before I do that. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's the podcast. That was game five. Uh, Warriors won game five. It was pivotal. The team who wins game five in a tied 2-2 best of seven series wins that series 82% of the time. So it's looking like the Warriors are going to take this series even without Kevin Durant who got hurt in the third quarter. So I hope you enjoy your Friday. I hope that it's relatively carefree until the Warriors play. Um, And let's all hope for a big Warriors win on the back of the Splash Brothers. Regardless of what happens, though, I will be back here on Saturday to talk about everything that happened in Game 6. So, with all that being said, I'm out. I'll be back in a couple days. Adios.